Thank you. Great. Okay, so I want to tell you a story from my school days. So I went to a prep school. That's like middle school for posh people. And my, uh, my prep school was very sporty. We played cricket, rugby, football. We had athletics. We had an actual grass tennis court. Okay, not Carmack, actual grass. Um, when I say we played, I mostly mean they played. Because I was plump and flat-footed and bespectacled and poorly coordinated and, uh, and slow. Uh, the closest I got to being involved with, uh, with the teams was when I was mucking about with a balsa wood aeroplane uh, by the end of the cricket field, and uh, Spink Major, that really was his name, somehow got distracted and got caught out for 99. There you go. There was, however, one sporting event I was part of. As you might imagine, sports day was quite a big thing. All the boys were there. All the parents were there, quite a lot of grandparents. They did a really good tea for visitors. And it was a serious event. There was no egg and spoon race. There was no three-legged race. There were proper sprints, distant races, distant races, long jump. Who can throw a cricket ball the furthest? It's a bit like shot put, but more chance of hitting a spectator. That was sports day. If you weren't selected for any of those events... Never fear, there was still the consolation race. The idea of the consolation race was that everyone who didn't make it to another event would be consoled by racing together a lap of the field, probably 400 metres, watched by all their sporty classmates and parents and teachers and grandparents. So you can imagine... You've got to do this lap. You're there, you're not much of a runner, or I'm not much of a runner. Um, I joined the school a bit late in what they called third form, confusingly. Um, and um, the first year, I was in the consolation race. And uh, they put all the years together who were doing it, so I kind of started in the middle of the race. And it was all right, you know, people went off, people passed me, but, you know, I finished the race. The next year, fourth form, I was in the consolation race again. And I discovered that if you're in the fourth form, you started a further 10 yards back from everywhere, from forms one to three. And there was five and six behind you. So I started even further back, and I got even further behind. And then I was in the fifth form. And by now, most of the other competitors were in front of me. There was hardly anyone left to overtake me. Uh, and then sixth form, I qualified for the race again. Good job. And anyway... Um, I saw younger kids starting ahead of me and disappearing into the distance as I laboured around the track, watched by hundreds of other people. What a consolation that was. So, I don't know how you feel about running races. Um, as you can tell, it's not very high on my agenda. Um, but the Bible tells us that there is a race marked out for us. That we're cheered on by the saints who have gone before, the people who've loved Jesus and followed him. And more than that, that Jesus, if you like, is our training partner, our pace setter. Let's read Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 2. It says, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We've got a race to run, a race with Jesus. It's marked out for us individually. It's the one for each one of us to run. What is this race? It's not a sprint. It's more like the marathon of life. With a marathon for most normal people, the aim is not particularly winning. The aim is finishing. The aim is getting across the line. And we have a race to run with Jesus. And it's a marathon through our lives. But we run following someone. A race partner, a pace setter, one who's done it, our Lord Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Has anyone here done a marathon? Richard's done a marathon. He's training for a marathon. So are you doing a lot of training, Richard? Tessa's going to do it with you. So I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine to run a a marathon, you need to do quite a lot of training. Yeah. And you need to get into habits of training and disciplines and doing it regularly and that sort of thing. You know, in the marathon of life, it's a bit like that. Doing things Jesus' way. We want to run with perseverance. We want to follow Jesus. We want to keep going to the end. And there's certain spiritual training that we can do, habits of life, disciplines that are going to help us keep going to the end, help us keep on track with Jesus all our lives. This preaching series, we call it Running the Race, is about six keys to, sorry, that was six, six keys to spiritual fitness. We're going to talk about stewardship, what we do with our money. We're going to talk about witness, how we share the good news of Jesus with people. We're going to talk about prayer, how we bring all of ourselves before our Heavenly Father. Uh, We're going to talk about Bible reading, uh, how we get into God's Word. The youth are going to do that for us, so that'll be fun. Uh, We're going to talk about resting in God, the idea of Sabbath. And we're going to talk about service, how we serve each other. All of these are like habits of life or spiritual disciplines which help us to keep on track with Jesus. So today we're going to talk about stewardship. Stewardship is what we do with our money. And we're going to talk about God's generosity. We're going to talk about trusting God with our finances. And we're going to look practically at what that might mean to live out stewardship. I want to start with God's generosity. You know, God is such a generous God. He's so full of kindness and love for us. He's the creator of this amazing, beautiful, super abundant world. Sometimes when I go outside, I'm just blown away by all the life that is there. The grass, the trees, the butterflies, the birds, the insects, the, the everything else. There's just such a sense of what amazing superabundance there is in this world. Uh, The evolutionary biologist J.B.S. Haldane, who actually was an atheist, was once asked, what could we infer about God from creation? He said, God, if he exists, has an inordinate fondness for beetles, basically because there are hundreds of thousands of species of beetles. Now, I don't share Haldane's theology or or lack of it, um, but I love the God who created hundreds of thousands of species of beetles. It just reflects 
his amazing delight in creation. It says in Psalm 145, the eyes of all, the eyes of all creatures, all creation, look to you, God, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. What an amazing, generous God he is in creating us in this wonderful world. And God is generous to us in saving us. He's generous specifically to those who trust in him. In giving his son for us. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is the incredible generosity of God to us and to all who will follow him. He's generous in adopting us as his children. He's generous in giving us every spiritual blessing in Christ, it says in Ephesians. He's generous in transforming our lives in the situations we're in, helping us to find his grace, his truth, and his love. And God is generous in providing for our physical needs. Jesus tells us to pray asking our Father for our daily bread, for what we need to survive, to live on today, and to trust the God who provides even for the sparrows. Jesus said, not even a sparrow falls without my Father. It says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, He, God, who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's such a generous God providing to us. And he promises to give to us as we give, as we share in his generosity. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The picture is of, it's like pouring out seed into sort of someone's lap as they're trying to hold it all. And God is so generous in how he gives. Now, I have to say at this point, I do need to put in a little balance in our approach to the Bible there. Some Christians take verses like that and say there's a direct correlation between what we give financially and what we get back. And then it's a small step beyond that to say God wants us to be rich. Um, Now, I don't think that's a full account of what the Bible says. Jesus also told the rich young ruler to give everything away and follow him. But my experience is that as we give, God out of his grace gives to us in so many ways, sometimes financial, often other ways. And that when God gives us plenty, it's not just for ourselves, but for his purposes. Uh, John Wesley said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. He saw there was a a benefit of, of earning, of getting, but in order to give for the advance of God's kingdom. And that's what, what I believe God wants us to do. And do, that's complex, so do talk to me more later if you want to about that issue. So God is generous. He's full of blessings and riches and love for us, particularly in giving his son for us. What's our response? Well, we want to trust God with our finances. You know, our attitude to money is of crucial importance 
for our spiritual well-being and growth. Uh, Money is a big deal in the Bible. Jesus actually taught more about money and possessions than he did heaven or hell or forgiveness, more than he talked about prayer and faith put together. Okay, Money is a really big thing there. Why is that? Because money and the possessions and security that, that money can buy you, in a sense, has this remarkable power to capture our hearts. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's almost like what we treasure, what we put value on, that sort of captures us and kind of defines us. And, and money has an incredible ability to do that. You know, we all know... Uh, uh, we all know that you know, people often when they're rich, they get richer. I was reading an article about someone who spent six million quid, uh, 16 million quid in Harrods over a period of time. She's up for uh, unexplained wealth prosecution at the moment. And I'm like, how on earth could you spend 16 million quid even in Harrods? Um, but you know, once, you know, money just has a, a, a way of getting hold of us. And it can stop us from fulfilling all that God wants us to be. In the parable of the sower, Jesus is talking about different people who they hear the word of God and then respond in different ways. And he says, there's some people where the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth are like weeds that spring up and choke the word and stop it from being fruitful. Money has such power that Jesus actually personifies it as if it were another God, when he talks about you can't serve both God and mammon, or can't serve both God and money, you can't serve two masters. Now the good news, other day, the other day I got a letter. My letter said, complete peace of mind for only 25p a day. Now to be fair, I've not been sleeping great recently, I'm, I've got a few things worrying me. 25p a day seems a pretty good deal for complete peace of mind. If only all my mental discomfort was caused by plumbing emergencies. Um, or possibly not. I'm not sure if I'd really like that. Um, but you know what? If we want peace of mind in the financial area, how do we do that? Let's trust God with our finances. Let's put it in his hands. Let's do things his way. He wants to give us peace in finances. What's the secret to that? I would suggest the secret is the principle of stewardship. So what is Stewardship. Stewardship is the idea that everything we have comes from God. That he's the ultimate source of it. Not our employers, not our parents, not the state, uh, not even our bright ideas or our hard work. It all comes from him by whatever means. And he entrusts it to us. Uh, like the stewards that we come across a number of times in the Bible, who are like senior servants who look after a master's property for him. Jesus told a couple of parables about them. Um, to use it for his purposes. Now, part of that can mean for themselves. Um, a, a steward would be foolish if he didn't use part of his master's money to feed himself and the other servants. That's part of the role. But the first call uh, on the property is that it belongs to someone else. It's the master's. In this case, everything 
belongs to God. We see this principle throughout the Bible, uh, encapsulated in Psalm 124. Uh, sorry, Psalm 24, which starts with, The earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, it all belongs to him. So looking through the Bible, I'm going to do a bit of a tour through the Old Testament and the New Testament looking at approaches to this. Uh, how did God's people respond to that idea? So in the Old Testament, uh, we see a culture of offerings and tithes, of giving some stuff back to God, recognizing that it all comes from him. Right back in Genesis 4, right at the beginning of the Bible, we see that Abel brings some of the best bits from the firstborn of his flock as an offering to God. The first lambs born, if you like, from his flock to thank God with them. Noah is offering sacrifices, thanking God. And with Abraham in Genesis 14, we see the first concept of a tithe, of giving 10% of what God has given him back to, to God's servant. Roll forward a few hundred years, about 1600 BC, and we get to Moses and God's law being given to this new people of Israel. And in it, God set principles in place for being his people. And there were various offerings for lots of reasons. There was, when you had your first harvest in, uh, your first crops, your first flocks, your first herds, you gave it to God by giving it to the, the tabernacle and the priest for sacrifice. Uh, as a set way of saying, thank you God, you've given this to me. And I'm going to give the best bit, the first bit back. In addition, they also gave a tithe. Uh, Leviticus 27.30, so a 10%. It says a tithe, a 10% of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. So they had this principle that they would give a tithe. The tithe actually was given to the Levites. So the Levites were one of the 12 tribes who were set apart, not given the same inheritance in terms of land because they were meant to be effectively paid for by the other people, the other tribes, in order to serve them, help with the tabernacle or the temple as it later became, uh, the special meeting place of God, but also to help um, explain and apply God's laws and ways to the people. They were like caring for the other tribes. Um, the, tri the tithe was meant to release them from the pressure of having to farm to provide for themselves and their families so that they would have time to serve God's people as a whole. The Levites then gave their own tithe to the priests. In addition, there were other offerings and tithes as well. There seems to have been a second tithe, probably another 10%, set aside to feed the poor and to celebrate as God's people together at his festivals. A bit like setting money aside to go to transform or another sort of church sort of gathering together and to enjoy there, as well as other commands to be generous to those in need. Now, the actual practice of the people seems to have been varied. Sometimes they were doing all that God asked them to. Uh, sometimes they weren't with the result that the Levites were no longer paid and therefore stopped serving the people and went back to farming, and the worship of the people in the temple declined. Um, in this context, there's a very striking prophetic challenge in the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. So this is set probably, it's probably in about 430 BC. 
it's during the period we looked at, I think last summer we were looking at Nehemiah and how after the exile and the people came back from exile, Nehemiah was helping them and leading them to rebuild the city walls and the temple. And in this situation, about 430 BC, Nehemiah has probably gone back to Babylon. The people have rebuilt the temple, but they've lost focus. They're not properly giving what God has told them to. Uh, the, the Levites have gone back to farming rather than serving the people, and the economy is struggling as a result. Uh, and in Malachi 3, God actually talks about people robbing him by not tithing. This is what he says. Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, which might be what's happening at the moment, and pour out so much blessing that there'll not be enough room to store it. It's a striking passage of God inviting his people to test him and to see what he does for them. Okay, let's move on to the New Testament. So what happens there? The truth is, we don't know exactly what they did. Uh, but the crucial fundamental principle of the Christian faith is that we're under grace. We're not under law. Okay? We don't have to do stuff. We don't have to fulfill laws to earn God's approval. No. He loves us. He accepts us because of Jesus' death for us on the cross. What he calls us to do, we do not do because we have to, to meet some standard of acceptability, but out of gratitude for the amazing love and grace that God has poured out on us. So we're not talking about law here. We're talking about how we respond to the incredible generosity of God. So what principles do we see in the New Testament? We see that we're under grace, not under law. We see that Jesus reaffirms the principle of tithing. So at a certain point, he's disputing with uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, um, who basically have been really careful to tithe even the tiny bits of their herbs, but are failing to actually do the big important issues of justice, mercy, and that sort of thing. And he says, What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. Okay, so Jesus reaffirms that. What else do we see? We see Christians are instructed to give generously, proportionately, cheerfully, and sacrificially. In uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, there is this extended appeal and uh, instruction from the Apostle Paul um, because he and his associates are taking an offering from the churches in Greece to support the to give to the churches in Judea, where there's a, a famine going on, it seems, and it's particularly to support the poor. Um, now, there's a huge amount in here. I'd really encourage you to read those couple of chapters because it's really helpful stuff. Um, and Paul actually read out one section of it earlier, but I just want to pick up two elements. One is 2 Corinthians 8 7. He says to them, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Yeah, giving is a grace. Let's excel in it, as Paul instructs the Corinthians. And then going on a little bit in um, chapter 9, verse 6 to 11, he says, Remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. It makes sense. If you're a farmer, if you don't sow much seed, you're not going to get much crop back. If you sow lots of seed, you're likely to get more crop back. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And there's something amazing, actually, the joy that comes from giving to God. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Okay, another biblical principle, just that ministers of the gospel get their living from the gospel, so that's uh, there in 1 Corinthians 9, and that we are commanded to remember the poor, as it says in Galatians 2. So some principles from the New Testament. So what are we going to do about it? We've seen that God is generous. We've seen the importance of trusting God with our finances. And we've seen how stewardship of God's resources is worked out in the Bible. I actually wanted to share a personal story of God's faithfulness to us as we thought to be faithful stewards of what God has given us. So 21 years ago, we were at Bible College. We decided that we were going to be very spiritual. Um, and rather than specifically tithing, we were just going to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we were going to give whatever we felt the Holy Spirit told us to, to whatever he asked us to. About three months later, we realized we hadn't given anything at all. Um, and we got to thinking, oh, maybe tithing wasn't such a bad idea after all. Um, then we came to the King's Church 20 years ago. And for us, we established the habit then that, that we would tithe, give 10% to our church, and then you know, also give other offerings to other charities and that sort of thing as we felt was right to do. Um, now, the amounts have varied over the years in terms, and we haven't been able to give, given the tithe, we haven't been able to give all the other offerings we've always wanted to, but we have seen amazing blessing and provision from God, even when there have been really difficult times, I like taking a pay cut to, to work for church or when my former business profit share fell at certain times. God has helped us in amazing ways. I have a story just from last term. So I suddenly realized that uh, the tax laws had changed back in April 2016. And I hadn't realized this at this time. And uh, so I had three years of profit share from my business, which I hadn't paid the amount of tax I was meant to on. And I was going to need to pay... 1,200 quid a tax suddenly for that. Um, a few days earlier, we received an unexpected 1,200 pounds from child tax credits for last year where they'd underpaid us. Um, God knew before we did. He provided. That's not to say we don't have to be careful. Tighten our belts when necessary. Watch our spending when there's less money. Naomi does the books and she watches them like a hawk, I tell you. She's good. Uh, but there is an incredible freedom from worry in knowing that we've given what God asked us to, and now we can trust him. It kind of feels like it's his problem, not mine. So in a moment, we're going to receive an offering. How are we going to do it? Uh, well, as this is something we don't normally do, um, so it's unfamiliar to us. On your chair, you hopefully found like a giving envelope like this, and a card, okay? There's the card. Um, so on one side of the card, 
Uh, it basically says all the different ways to do it. So you can give by online uh, banking or standing order. Lots of do this, people do this. It's a great way to do it. There's no fees and all that sort of thing. Um, and it's, um, it's easy to do and it's easy to set up a regular thing to do that. So details are all on there. Um, you can also give by uh, cash or check. Um, normally we use that tithes and offering box on the back. I've actually put those baskets on the table in front there. Uh, if you want to put stuff in the baskets today. And also I've put more of these things. And I've put, um, if people want more details, there's a couple of sort of notes actually on uh, tithings and tithing and offerings. One is a sort of, you know, bit more punchy one that I did. The other is a much more detailed one that um, our dear friend Ed uh, Evans uh, did with more details of sort of really getting into the nuts and bolts of the Bible on it. So feel free to pick up those if you're interested and have a look. Um, okay, so that's on, the, on that desk at the back. Um, also, if you're on Church Suite, you want to pay by credit card or debit card, um, there's actually a facility to do it on that. Um, so that's a great way to do it as well. If you're not on Church Suite, which is our online system for keeping you know, the information we need to keep about people in a GDPR-compliant way, um, so do talk to Susie, who's probably in kids' work today, actually, about that, if you want to be on it. If you're a taxpayer, uh, the government wants to give us extra money, which is always good. Uh, 25p in the pound, as long as you've made a gift aid declaration, um, so you can do that on Church Suite. If you go into My Giving on Church Suite and then make a there's an option to make a de declaration. You can do it on the back of your giving card. Just tick that and start fill in the details. You can do it on the envelope. Lots of ways to do it. If you've already done one, we don't need another because we only need one uh, to do that. Um, there's lots of ways to do that. And just put that in the basket as well. So I'm going to pray in a bit. Um, and I just want to suggest for all of us that we take the time just to listen to God, ask him what to give. Uh, it might be giving to the King's Church for the first time. It might be setting up a regular gift. It might be taking that step of tithing or starting tithing or giving beyond that. That's all wonderful. It's all stuff that God wants to grow in us because he wants to, us to grow in this grace of giving just as Paul instructed the Corinthians. I wanted to share two final stories. One is a story about the tithing challenge. You see, there's that curious verse we read back in Malachi where God said, test me by tithing and see what I'll do. Um, it's quite unusual, actually, for God to say, test me. Normally, testing God is a negative thing in the Bible, but this is a particular case where God invites people to test him and see what happens. Um, and I was reading about a church which set that out and said, okay, here's a tithing challenge. Try it for four months and see what happens. Uh, one day there was an agnostic dragged along to the church. And he heard this challenge and he said, you know what? Um, I'm going to prove that this doesn't really work. So I'm going to try it and see what happens. A year later they're baptizing him. Because over four months of tithing he saw God's provision. And he was like, you know, okay, maybe this God is real. And just last week, one of our youth came up to me. He said, I've started to receive a monthly allowance of 30 pounds. I'm going to tithe it. You know what? I was totally blown away by that, um, that gift of three pounds. I think God probably is too. In one sense, it's not the amount that matters. 
It's the heart and it's giving what God is leading us to in this. Let's take a moment and then I'm going to pray. And then, obviously, people give in all kinds of ways. People give online. If you, you know, people give on Church Street. If you want to give by cash or checks, do put it in there. No one's going to be watching or anything like that. But I'm, um, so, you know, there's a chance to do that after the meeting's over. We're not going to all troop up there, <laughs> put our envelopes in or something. Um, but let's just take a moment just to ask God, if we haven't already, what he wants us to give. And then I'm going to pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you're helping us to be like you. It says in your word that though you were rich, you became poor for us. Thank you that you emptied yourself of everything in order to die on a cross for us and that you are now ruling and reigning our risen Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you that you are determined to grow us and make us more like you. And I pray particularly as we look at running the race with you, as we look at these different areas, I pray today for this, this discipline of stewardship, of recognizing that everything comes from you and of trusting what you've given to us back into your hands. Would you help us today, we pray. And I pray for each of us, you give us faith to give what you're leading us to, knowing that you will provide for us as we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you, Nick. Um, if anyone does want to pray with us like we talked about earlier,